Anatoly arrives at night with ice in his beard and moonlit eyes. Excitement bubbles inside me as I watch him through the frost-coated window. He unharnesses and feeds his sledge dogs, brushes each of them carefully, checks their paws and whispers their names, Nessa, Bayan, Petoya and Zoya. Finally, he settles them into the shelter and comes inside. He ducks through the doorway, huge as a bear in his deer skins and furs, but once he peels off his layers and sits by the fire in his threadbare tunic, he looks thinner and older than I remember. There are deeper wrinkles around his silvery eyes and more white hairs in his lopsided beard, which doesn't grow evenly because of the burn scars on his cheeks. But his smile is still the same. He looks down when he smiles and flushes pink as a bullfinch's belly. It's been two months since it Anatoly last visited, and though that feels like forever, it's not that long. Sometimes there's half a year or more between his visits, other times a few weeks. I wish he visited more regularly. I miss him when he's not here and spend too much time wondering when he'll come home. Anatoly lives alone in the forest, hunting and fishing and trapping animals to survive. No one in the village knew he existed until about 10 years ago when he turned up on Mamoka's doorstep asking for an ornament to soothe his burns. They were old scars from a forest fire years before, but he said they still ached and itched at night. Since then, Anatoly has visited at least once a year, and often many more times. Occasionally he stays for a night sleeping by our fire, and people in the village tease Mamoka and say he's her sweetheart. She just laughs and says, he can't have a sweetheart who spends all the time hiding in the forest but her eyes shine brighter and, she's, and her smile spreads wider when he visits. You look like you haven't eaten since we last saw you. Mamaka pours Anatoly a cup of tea with lemon and passes him a basket of soft spice cookies with the glaze as white as the snow outside. She is small, half the size of either An Anatoly or me, but she takes up more space. She bustles around, strong and unstoppable, filling the room with as much movement in life as a flight of doves. Anatoly sips his tea, bites a cookie and colour floods into his face. I've eaten well, but I've been in the far north these last few months and the cold makes me thin. What did you find? I ask, tingling with anticipation for the story. When Anatoly comes out of the snow forest, there's always a story. When I was young, I believed all of Anatoly's tales, whether they were about wolf packs hunting over moonlit snow or fire dragons leaping from volcanoes, because his stories came from the forest, like me, they felt like clues to my past. Now I know Anatoly's stories are just stories. Mamika has told me often enough. But I still like to believe in them, in the moments when he tells them and sometimes afterwards, in the depths of night when the branches outside my window shine silver and I can't sleep for thinking about what secrets the forest holds. Anatoly smiles his shy smile, reaches deep into his pocket and pulls out his map. He soothes the tight paper over the low table between us and I search for the new mark. There's always a new mark hidden somewhere amongst the angry trees to show where the story begins. Here is the village, Anatoly points to the neat drawing of the village on the southern edge of the map, and here is your house. His finger hovers above mine and Mamaka's house, which is marked by two small hearts inside a square. Anatoly always points out all the features on his map, 
even though I've seen it so many times I could draw it from memory. But I don't mind. I like listening to his gentle voice rumble against the crackling of the fire, and I like watching his callous fingers skate down through the sketch forest. It also gives me a chance to find a new mark on my own. The mark might be a large feature, like the picture of a crumbling castle that appeared last year. Or it might be a small feature, like the claw hidden in a glade that sparked a story about how a lone baby girl stood over a pack of wolves. Anatoly told me that story when I was very young, and I still have the wolf claw he gave me under my pillow. Sometimes, running my finger on it makes me feel brave, but at other times, the sight of the thick, dark hook as long as my thumb makes me pull my blankets tight around me. My gaze drifts across the map, north through the forest along a narrow winding trail. Creatures hide among the trees, wolves and wolverines, badgers and bears and snakes and squirrels. Past the first of Anatoly's five cabins, the trail disappears. So I follow the silver stream instead, as its ripples surface, dotted with ice floes and living fish. The Yaga house has moved again. I point to a drawing of house with chicken legs nestled in a pine thicket. Winter has been harsh this year, Anatoly nods gravely. The house got so cold its knees splintered. It stood up in the middle of the night and the crack sounded like thunder. I heard it over ten miles away. It ran south, its feet pounded along the river bank until it warmed up and settled in this cosy thicket. The Yaga who lives in the house wasn't happy at all and she doesn't like move, moving closer to the living. You know Yaga prefers dead souls. Dead souls in houses with chicken legs. My mother folds her arms over her chest and shakes her head. You'll fill her mind with nonsense on it holy. There's truth in all my stories, Anatoly said quietly. He glances at me with a look of such sincerity that I want to tell him that I believe every tale he's ever told. Instead, I rise to my feet and open the long wooden box on the mantelpiece. Inside is my favourite ink pen and my own copy of Anatoly's map. I drew it the last time he was here and although it's not as neat as his, I'm proud of it. I roll it out on the table and carefully draw the house with the chicken legs in its new position. Mamaka disappears into the kitchen, still muttering about nonsense. She only believes things she can see for herself. When I wasn't always so dismissive of Anatoly's stories, when I was younger she used to repeat them to me before bed in her matter-of-fact style, or she'd sing me the songs of her ancestors about the power of nature and the healing magic of the forest. But she seems to have decided that 12 years, 12 years is too old for stories. Last time Anatoly visited, after I went to bed, I heard Mamma telling him she worries that his stories keep me wondering about my past. Anatoly told her I'm a magical bird child who will always wonder where I came from. Mamma replied that it would be better if my heart was in the village rather than getting lost in the stories of the forest. At that point, I turned over in bed, not wanting to hear him anymore, and sang myself to sleep. I finished drawing the house with the chicken legs and lean back over Anatoly's map to see what else is new. But my gaze lands on a blue mountain and I can't pull it away. Nestled high in a cliff is a sketch of a bear cave where I was found, with me as a baby inked inside, snuggling the arms of the bear. Anatoly always refers to the bear who reads me as a Serena, queen of the snow forest. My feet ache with the same restless fear feeling I had earlier, after I heard the bullfinch squeak. 
Outside the snow glistens and urges to make footprints in it swells in me. The bear cave, Anatoly's voice cuts through my core, through my thoughts. He gently touches the map right next to the cave, where your mamaka first found the most precious treasure ever discovered in the snow forest. Mamaka places a mug in front of me and drops a kiss on my forehead. She smiles at Anatoly and he smiles back without looking away. And for a moment I feel like three of us belong together, like a real family. How long are you staying? I blurt out. Then I regret the question because Anatoly's face turns bright red all the way to his ears and he doesn't answer. Mamaka leans down, tops up the teapot with hot water from and the steam rises when she opens up the tap in the shining brass urn, heating the air disguised in Anatoly's blushing. What's that? she asks, pointing to a tiny triangular mark on the map. I peer at the triangle, embedded high in the trunk of a tall, slim birch. Inside that triangle is the letter N with a crown on top. It's the new mark. Excitement rushes through me, washing away the twinge of disappointment. And it has something to do with the Princess Natasha. I recognise the crown N as her symbol. Anatoly has told me stories about her before, and some of them hinted that she might be my birth mother. The thought that might be true and that I might learn something about it gives me a sudden breathtaking thrill. Anatoly puts an object wrapped in cloth from his pocket and passes it to me. It's as big as my palm, heavy and feels cold through the cloth. Mousetrap pokes his head out of his claw in the corner, near the fire and sniffs the air. His face and proud hunter never begs for food unless it's fresh water cod brought by Anatoly. But it's not cod in the parcel. Besides a triangular ice blue rock, smooth as glass, with the tip of the knife just sharp as a knife. Anatoly's made a hold in the wide end and thread it with the leather cords that we worn as a necklace. The rock trembles in my hand. It feels unnaturally cold, like there's a snowstorm in it. The corners of the mousetrap's mouth turn down when he realises there's no fish on offer, but perhaps he catches the scent of a story to come. As he edges closer, scoots at the back of my chair, settles onto my shoulder and stares at Anatoly expectantly. I breathe in the mousetrap's familiar smell of dust and earthy musk, and I reach up to give him a stroke, but he pushes my finger away. Is this an arrowhead? I ask, holding the rock up to the window. Anatoly nods. It's for you, the Princess Natasha's last arrow. It's beautiful, thank you. I lift the necklace over my head, being careful not to disturb mousetrap, and then turn to show Mamaka. Looks lovely on it, you, she smiles, but with those sharp edges, it doesn't seem very safe to wear. She raises her eyebrows at Anatoly and he looks down apologetically. Would you like to hear the arrow's story? He asks. Yes, please. Goosebumps shiver over my skin. Although I've heard stories about the princess before, I've not heard one about an arrow. Mousetrap lets out a squeaky yawn, stretches and curls round my neck. Princesses and arrowheads, Mamaka tuts as she returns to the kitchen where she makes a show of putting away the fish and game Anatolia has bought us. But I see her through the doorway. Mamaka might not believe Anatolia's stories, but she's not immune to their magic. Once upon a time, a great warrior came to the snow forest. Her name was Princess Natasha. She carried a bow over her shoulder and a quiver of arrows on her back, and with them she could shoot the twinkle from a star. For many years, the princess defended and protected creatures of the snow forest. She drove the water demons from the river, calmed the wood spirits whose howls brought rain and saved the soul of the giant Deathra. Then one day she met a fisherman on the shores of the Green Bay. They fell in love and had a baby daughter. Before the baby was one moon old, the 
Five volcano in the north exploded into flames. A three-headed fire dragon erupted in the sky, and Natasha's husband, who was near the volcano at the time, became trapped with the furious beast. Natasha burned with rage. She shouldered her bow, held her baby to her breast, and climbed into a cave in the Blue Mountain. There, though it broke her heart to do so, she left, left her beloved daughter in the care of the only creature she trusted to keep her safe, the bear Serena. At the very top of the mountain, where the ancient peak is stained blue by the sky, Natasha carved six arrowheads. Made from thick blue ice and hardened with stardust, they were strong and cold enough to cool the anger in the fire dragon's heart. The sun set and the moon rose three times before Natasha reached the fiery volcano and found the cavern. Natasha charged and aimed an arrow at the dragon's heart, but he held her husband too close for her to take his shot. Between two heartbeats, Natasha fired five arrows at the three heads, blinding five of his eyes. She smiled and drew back her final arrow to blind the dragon's last eye, but he opened his great wings and flew from the cavern, still holding her husband. He roared with anger and dropped him into a swirl of dragonfire. Grief tore through Natasha as she watched her husband disappear in the flames. Her chest crumbled and she struggled to breathe. She realised it was her last arrow, but it missed its target. The arrow clipped his wing, making him tumble through the sky, and he was spitting fiery bombs like cinders. He collapsed upon her. There was no escape. High above, the last arrow flew on. It sailed over the stars, carrying her love and strength. It dipped under the moon, picking up moonbeams of magic and landed back on the bark of a tall, slim birch. Tears pooled in her eyes, which shone with the thoughts of her orphan child, but her final breath was filled with hope that one day her daughter would find the last arrow and then her story would be remembered. <laughs>